Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, I have a very special guest who is revisiting us on Leading Conversations, Margaret J. Wheatley, fondly known as Meg Wheatley. Meg has been a force in the field of leadership and organizational development and the development of culture. She has had the perspective that people are at the center of the way we move in the world, much unlike what's been going on in the structure post-industrial revolution, etc. We have today someone with us who has insight based on her own willingness to step into what she wants other people to be. We often don't have people who are consulting or providing advice to organizations and individuals who have actually had their own transformation. May have. Her most recent book, Who Do We Choose to Be?, is again taking the field by storm. Um, and her subtitle is Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, and Restoring Sanity, which we all could use a little bit of that, or maybe a lot of that. Meg, welcome to Leading Conversations this morning. Well, it's great to be back with you, Cheryl. It's great to have you here. Where are you today? I'm home in my beautiful home at Sundance, Utah, after a very busy fall of constant travel, I'm finally home. Ah, uh, nice. That's nice. So I know that your home is a real refuge for you, um, and you have talked in the past about this is where you go to regroup, to regenerate, to revive, and to do your deepest thinking. Um, so it, it looks to me, as I'm looking at your new book, Who Do We Choose to Be?, you were doing a lot of deep thinking to get this book put together. Um, was this one of your more difficult or easier books to write? This book was maybe the most complex and the easiest. <laughs> so I... Um, it has a lot of footnotes, which is unusual in my books, and it has a lot of deals with a lot of different sciences in great depth, and it deals with a lot of social commentary and history. It has many different strands of thinking, but I actually found that writing it was uh, very straightforward and and quite easy. Mm-hmm. What do you think that is? <laughs> well, I never write a book until it tells me it's ready to be written. Uh-huh. And, and and that has worked for me. This is my eighth book. And um, no, it's my ninth book. And um, each of them has been not of my own doing. Once I get 
the inside of what the book is about, then it's all my own doing. But right. what wants to be written is, it's, this is advice I give to everyone who's thinking of writing a book. Does the book want you to be the one who writes it? And that's mm-hmm. a good way of getting our ego and personality and needs for everything we load into a book. Right. You know, love me, respect me listen to me, mm-hmm. all of those dynamics, mm-hmm. of course we all have them, but they don't lead to good good work. They lead to, uh, as we can easily witness, a lot of ego is out there now. So, right. so uh, I, have to, I have to ask this question. I cannot bypass it. I'm not going to wait to the end of the show. So let's talk about what's happening in the U.S. political landscape right now. What is your yeah. take on the larger picture here? Well, that is what Who Do We Choose to Be is all about. And mm. I wrote it uh, at the end of last summer and then thought that no one's really going to want to take this seriously because what it, what the book does, based on good history and good social science, is it tracks where our civilization is at the end of its life cycle. It's a very mm-hmm. difficult thing to realize, but uh, once Trump was elected, then the book became not prophetic, but just descriptive. And Absolutely. what I find, Cheryl, is of greatest value here is understanding our place in history in human history, not just in American history, not just in 21st century history. I mean, we really trouble ourselves and create a lot of angst in us because we don't understand how we fit. What's happening fits on a very specific pattern of what all civilizations go through. And I find it, I have two reverse or opposite reactions. Daily, I'm enraged. I'm despairing. Uh, The work I'm doing now to train leaders to be warriors for the human spirit is all about preparing a few people to be very strong, compassionate, and wise presences as more and more suffering happens to people. So I feel good about my work. But the despair and anger are things I just have to deal with daily, as I'm sure most people do. That's the human yeah. level. Then when I shift, I take the the high view, the uh, many centuries view, millennia view, I realize this is what's happening, and it always happens. And therefore, mm-hmm. I don't waste my own effort or redirect or direct people who are listening to me, I don't direct us any longer to how can we reverse this. But the real question now is how can we be good human beings no matter what is happening? How can we be compassionate? How can we serve other people? How can we alleviate suffering? Because we're not stopping these destructive dynamics and they're amplified with Trump, but they were going to happen anyway. And uh, if you if you take the historical perspective, and I see no reason not to at all, <laughs> except blind optimism, 
makes us yeah. no, no. We're we're going to evolve here. We're going to get out of this mess we're in. It's not uh-huh. it's not what human history tells us. So, my whole message to each of us individually is: let's be. I, I talk about leadership as a noble profession now. That we could be mm-hmm. the ones who create islands of sanity, who who work with what we have, where we are, who uh, create possibilities for people to work well together. But but it's an island. It's in the midst of so much destruction and so many dynamics that we cannot stop at the global mm-hmm. level, but we certainly can do a lot at the local level. So I'm just asking people to return to being honorable and humane and sane human beings again and to use mm-hmm. their leadership for that as well. And what kind of response are you getting from people who are in levels of power who are used to accommodating a culture that really supports and rewards short-term results? And I don't um, pay attention to them, and they don't pay attention to me. But there are many people, many people, I'm surprised by the number of people who really respond with relief and uh, a deeper motivation of, yes, now I know what I can do, how I can contribute. So the shift Mm. for those people is I went from feeling meaningless, overworked, overwhelmed, and despairing, knowing this isn't working for most people. Mm-hmm. And now, now I've been given a new, a new role. And I describe mm-hmm. that as the level of nonviolent warriors for the human spirit. Can we just be there for people at this point? Mm-hmm. And, and those who are willing to hear, who are really already know that uh, mm-hmm. this just can't continue, this level of angst and anger and despair, they're, they're just ripe for, for this call. Right, right. And so I, I absolutely resonate with this. Um, it's interesting. I, in my coaching, executive coaching profession, and in my practice specifically, um, I have always worked with CEOs and leaders of organizations and um, people who are influencers, and it's interesting there's been a shift in me, and maybe it's age, Um, you know, that whole thing about with age comes wisdom, Um, there's been a shift in me about being a leader of leaders, and the leaders are the people in my mind who are doing exactly what you say, they are um, creating and holding the space and the energy for um, those who really want to shepherd this uh, transformation, right? And it, it was an interesting discernment for me. And it feels like um, that's a lot of what you're calling people to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And I do feel very strongly now that those who 
like yourself who are in executive coaching, it's a really important time for you to understand how much support you are capable of giving to leaders, not about career success, but about individual uh, morality at this point, really calling people to what is the value of my leadership? What is the value of my life? And I think you're all in a, in a really good place to offer that. Well, and you know, what's interesting for me is um, not the field itself of executive coaching and organizational transformation hasn't always resonated with that. Um, It's often been focused more on the results that align with um, profit and the way our capitalistic structure exists and which is fine, you know, it it was still helpful. My bent all through this, all through my career has been, well, it's not about that. It's about you, the leader. It's about you and who you are and how you stand for um, what you believe in and how you hold compassion for the people that you say you want to elevate to their highest potential and and for a long time I was the kind of the weird one right and I did things that other people wouldn't do I would make sure we spent eight hours together I was like oh you can never get them to spend eight hours with you right, really right. I'm already doing it you know it's like okay and I would see amazing transformation and it's you know, there's a bit of me that's saying, oh, finally, you know, finally, you know, this is getting some um, some sense of the, the importance of being assigned to this. And, um, and, and that makes me hopeful. Um, and in some ways, I think that's what allowed me to say, oh, right, right. So here's my role. And I've been preparing for this for a long time. And I'm meeting others who are also having that kind of aha. And many don't know what to do with it, though. And so there is this transition moment where we have to help those who see it. We have to help them be it. What is your perspective on what it takes to get to the being it? Well, I want to bring in context here because I think it's essential to realize what has changed in the general society, what has changed with globalization, what has changed in uh, terms of the rise of greed and leadership not meaning what it used to mean. And, you know, we're, we got a, a, we got wind of this early on that it's about who do you choose to be. But yeah. now there's no more time left. I mean, the leaders are either, I'm going to make a gross generalization that I absolutely believe in. There are leaders and people and individuals who are just taking as much as they can right now. 
That is what happens when civilization is in its last stages, its last life cycle. People, especially the elite, especially those in power, go for to take everything they can possibly get. I think at at lower level, you know, people who are not in positions of power are just self-protective at this point, just trying to create a good life in the midst of so much fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. So those are significant shifts. Then there are the people who always stand up and want to do the right thing. They're always a few in number. They're not the majority, but they're essential Mm -hmm. to maintain what you call being. I would call we have to help people remember the better Mm -hmm. qualities of human nature. And I feel uh, so much of what I'm talking about now is somebody has to be out there as a reminder of the goodness that's in right. the inherent right. creativity and talents and caring that we all possess. But we're, we're anomalous. We're a minority at this point. Yes. And that is how yes. it always is. So when you can find those leaders in coaching or in communities or just mm-hmm. individual people who really understand that this is a very different time than it was even... 10 years ago, although these trends toward greed and globalization have been going on since the 80s. But this is a time when you you make a choice. You either choose to be passive and withdraw and just live as good a life as you can or mm-hmm. choose to be very brave and step forward because you want to serve other people. For me, there's no... No gray area there. It's you choose one or the other. You can't have a good life and choose to serve people. You know, you can't protect yourself if you're really going to step forward at this time. So we just have to notice what happened while we were very busily engaged in learning how to create organizational change or we were focused on self-development. The world changed. I get so many questions, Cheryl, of... So what happened to you, Meg? You know, you went from leadership in the new science, which was filled with hope and possibility, and now you're talking about preparing for things, getting tougher and tougher. What happened to you? I just look at them and say, have you noticed what happened to the world? <laughs> you know, yeah. 25 years. <laughs> have you noticed what happened? <laughs> you yeah. know, we're not these sole agents acting independent of what's going on around us. And we're also not um, insulated or protected from feeling these dynamics of fear and anxiety and self-preservation. So it's a very different world. It absolutely is. And we have no better person to talk about that with than you, Meg. So we're going to take a break right now, and we will be back in just a couple minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. My very special guest today is Meg Wheatley. So Meg, we were talking about how civilizations go through life cycles and that ours in the entire world is actually at one of the points of its last legs. So, and a lot of chaos is going on and everything changes accelerating and people who see the world in a linear fashion are saying, what is going on? So I'm wondering, you know, when I think of the end of a civilization, I think of kind of, you know, to coin a phrase, the world is imploding. Um, I think of whole groups of people disappearing, you know, whole cultures non, you know, stopping existing. Uh, what do you think, besides the chaos, this is going to result in? What is it going to look like? Well, you're you're just bravely entering territory that most people most people don't want to even touch in on i i meet a lot of people who say well the systems are corrupt they have to collapse thank god for that and then we'll be able to build you know a brave new world or we'll be able yeah. to create we'll be able to create what we've aspired to yeah. create for so long mm-hmm. and and I agree with that perspective, but <laughs> this is a giant yeah. but in neon flashing sign, but we have to get from here to there. And that's yeah. what I'm focused on. 
how can I and other people who are dedicated to this level of service really prepare to be strong, compassionate people for what's ahead? I have no idea of how ugly it's going to get, but it, I, I don't see why we would think we would get through this with, uh, you know, just peaceful transitions of power. Um, mm. There will be a lot of suffering. There already is in the world. Um, but when we're talking about, you know, America's influence in the world, and one of the things that happens in a life cycle is you lose capacity. So, you know, mm. there's nothing new in thinking about things having a beginning, a middle, and an end, except yeah. that we believe in the, in our own genius, in our own technology, and we believe in the myth of progress. So we think we're not going to have to go through a decline. It's like denying dying or denying aging, which our society does in, right. uh, you know, great, great great expensive matter. We're really trying to deny death. The greatest paralyzing thought we experience in the West, especially in America, is the belief in progress, that things are always getting better through human ingenuity, human creativity, innovation, and technology. This is a relatively new idea in human history. It only appeared 300 years ago with the Industrial Revolution. But now, living in this age of accelerated technological advances, we think, well, we really nailed this one. We really figured out how to just keep uh, moving forward. And this is where I urge anyone listening to really start to look at the increasing articles that are coming out about the devastating impacts of social media on our youth. Um, Yeah. Because we're seeing now not the other side, but we're seeing actually the consequences, the emergence of what a technology that originally was designed to connect people, what it has created. So we're seeing it in increased youth suicide, stress and anxiety levels. We're seeing it in, of course, all the issues that Facebook, Google, and Twitter have now exposed in terms of of, of manipulation of people's opinion and news. So what we have now in our brave new world is as far from the intention of just connecting people, getting everybody on Mm -hmm. Facebook, and Mm -hmm. we would then solve all of our problems. Well, the reverse has happened. And so the belief in progress, which still is, well, we're going to find a technology to get us out of this mess. We're not even going near climate change at the moment. But there's so much hopeful uh, thinking that, well, we'll come up with a new technology. That's not the problem. The problem is we we don't have the right conditions politically in terms of leadership to implement the solutions we already had. So this, again, always happens in any civilization. The technology, whatever it was, it could be running bison off a cliff in Canada. The technology that gave us 
great advantage comes back to be the technology that takes us down. It's right. called the progress trap. Um, <laughs> so, but so that's that's one big uh, paralyzing thought we have. Then, if you go to a culture that just does not want to deal with life stages, you know. I mean, you had to apologize that us older ones actually do obtain wisdom. Yes, we do, because we've lived life. And um, if we were in any other traditional culture, there'd be no question that, you know, the wisdom holders are the elders. And uh, But in our culture, you know, being old is a kind of sickness that you try and pretend doesn't happen to you. So... Mm-hmm. There's something in all of this as we contemplate what's coming that is so painful because we're not prepared for endings. We're not prepared for decreased capacity. You can already see it. I mean, one of the signs of a civilization at its end is that it can no longer afford these very complex bureaucratic systems that always arise, by the way. I mean, in the book, I talk about the DNA of humans, human civilizations, is we always create hierarchy. We always create infrastructure. We create art. We create religion. We create law. We really do have this pattern down, and you can see it in every single complex society that humans have ever created anywhere on the globe. It's fascinating to me. But what we don't realize in our own time is uh, the civilization creates these enormously complex bureaucracies that, one, don't deliver on their services. So what do we need to think about here? Health care, education, military, um, you know, all of them, uh, democracy. And, and the second piece of it is that um, it becomes too expensive. And then the government starts taxing. I mean, in our faces right now, the government starts taxing the poor, destroying destroying, um, the fundamental capital, not the fake false printed money capital, but the fundamental resources uh, get used up, and then there's nothing. So there's always environmental degradation, but... Now we're at risk for it being planet-wide. So I understand how hard this is to come to terms with, and I also experience how liberating it is when you realize, okay, this is what is, and I have work that I want to do. And that's Mm -hmm. work of making a contribution to other people. Mm -hmm. Well, and so we have a generation that is saying, you know, they want their work to have meaning and they want to make a difference in the world. And they're looking at things very differently than you just go to school and get a degree and then go work at a job. They're saying, no, that that doesn't work for me. And they, of course, are getting a lot of pushback. Um, And some of them are making that work and for themselves, and most of them are not, and most of them don't have the support, emotional or financial, in order to do that. Do you, do you see 
that this shift for them is in response to this, whether it's conscious or not, this knowing of, of the life cycle of the civilization? No, it's actually illustrative of uh, okay. the age, what it's called the age of decadence, where people mm-hmm. have been raised, have been brought up to expect entitlements, and I'm speaking historically here, not currently. Yeah. Yes. And um, they've been brought up to uh, expect entertainment, you know, great lifestyles, lots of things. Um, And always at the end, what the civilization, the heroes of the civilization, again, this is historical, not just current, are sports heroes, musicians, and actors. And, uh, yeah, we could just pause for a moment. I know when President Obama gave his last presidential medals, uh, it was listed in the New York Times that he was giving them to sports heroes, musicians, and actors. He also included a few scientists, but the majority of people receiving awards were just in that category. Mm -hmm. It's the age of celebrity. So we have social media that just amplifies at an exponential rate the attraction that is always there to celebrities and to entertainment. Um, Whenever anyone and this happens to me a lot, starts talking about how the youth want to change society. Yeah. I, I, I grew up in the 60s, folks. <laughs> I yeah. knew how much we wanted to create change. Whenever I hear of people saying, I take hope for, from the youth because they don't want to be part of the big system, well... We didn't want to be part of the big system. And many of us stayed out of it or went into it maintaining our ideals. But you need more than ideals and more than hopefulness to know how to create change. That was our work. But change of these large systems is no longer possible. And I explain that in in this book and my previous book because these are emergent systems and you cannot change an emergent system. I won't go into that now, but that's why I say that so categorically. There's good science yeah. behind that statement. So so how do you how do you help someone who says, well, then what are we doing at all? Why even bother? That's right. I just got asked that question in an interview with a magazine, and the editor said, if the world is going to hell, why do good? And my Mm. response to that is, if the world is going to hell, only do good. And you must define for yourself what good is. Mm. Um, right, and I've spent a lot of time with leaders on what is your basic, why you know your basic motivation. How do you define what is good? What is good work? What is a good yeah. life? And then you get away from that question. Doesn't make sense any longer. Right. If the world right. is going to hell. There's really important work to be done, but it's not yeah. of the same variety 
that we spent decades paying attention to. It's not about changing the world. It's about working with people and individual communities and families to to create good human beings. And I just recently, in an interview, heard Naomi Klein, who's been a, a extraordinary critic. She wrote No Logo, and uh-huh. then she wrote This Changes Everything, and now she has a brand new book out, um, where she's coming to the realization. She said, well, we really aren't going to turn this around now. It yeah. is too late. And maybe we should just focus on being good human beings. And I quote Grace Lee Boggs, our great American activist who died at age 100 in Detroit two years Mm -hmm. ago, when she said that the basic purpose of organizing is uh, to rely on human, human beings. So I'm using her phraseology a lot now. How Mm -hmm. can we be a human, human being? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that that really sums it up. Human, human beings. Um, I have always felt that you know to be a leader, you must first become a human being. I have used that yeah. phrase years, right? And because our humanity um, is at the very core of our existence, and yet somehow we have become so adept at burying it or forgetting it or denying it. That's right. All of those what, things, by the way. All what, of those. Well, why did that happen? I mean, you know, is that, is that a typical pattern in... It is. It is. We're, we really have two sides as a species. And one side, when we're with our own people, our clan, our tribe, uh, it brings out our generosity, our kindness, our altruism. And then when there's conflict with another group or there's famine or drought, um, we become quite savage. It's just, it's clear in the anthropological record. It's clear in mm. now in uh, biology. We have two sides. Now, most faiths, most great spiritual traditions have said that. And so the, it always has been the quest for cultivating our better angels, you know, and controlling yeah. with, with discipline and culture, controlling, um, you know, our more savage and barbaric sides. Mm-hmm. And um, so both are evident every time uh, we read the news these days. They're both evident. We see great displays of human goodness when people rush in to help their neighbors during a natural disaster, and we see great shocking levels of barbarism, savagery, uh, when people are fighting against each other. Mm-hmm. And so fighting for resources. And some of those resources, the demand for resources is man-made. I mean, we don't necessarily have to have those resources to survive, except that we've created systems that rely on those resources. That's and right. so we think right. we need them to survive. And well, we do need them now. We do need them now. That's the reality of our situation. We exactly. could have made wiser choices. 
Uh, we could have listened to Rachel Carson when she wrote Silent Spring in 1962. Right. But we, right. we just decided we could be in this consumption extractive economy that the planet is now just, you know, pushing back on. Yeah. We're not going to yeah. get away with this much longer is my own sense. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there are there is a um, school of thought that, well, when this happens, when the end, or you can call it the end of times, or, you know, there's different names for it, um, that those who have prepared will still be standing. Now, that definition of those who have prepared is very different um, among different factions. The one I'm referring to is, you know, people who have done their spirit work, who have, you know, become that better human, who have helped others in a, you know, big way to do good. Um, So do you ascribe to that? belief that they will still be standing or they will... No, I don't. I think my own experience, I'm not a millennialist or an apocalyptic or last days. I think we're in for a very tough period ahead and I think Mm -hmm. some of that will be ecological. I think the planet Mm -hmm. is really uh, can't, can't tolerate much more of our abuse Mm-hmm. However, my own spiritual practice, which is, is at the center of my life now, when you really do that um, and dedicate yourself to being of service to others, um, then you don't care about your own salvation. You don't care. I mean, the work is immediately rewarding. And I hear this from a lot of yeah. activists, that it's just the present moment rewards of... Uh, helping a sick child, you know, a child who's been burned in Syria or working mm. with uh, a victim of abuse in this country or anything. It's that present moment relationship of human helping humans. We are so far mm. gone from that realization. But for me, that's, that's the essence of uh, why I do my work. Because this is what a good life is. A good life is serving other people. And so I don't, I don't need any other system of reward uh, at all. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, okay, so I have questions about that. But we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexasaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Serju Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. We're having a fascinating conversation with Meg Wheatley today, the author of Who Do We Choose to Be? Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, Restoring Sanity. So, Meg, we've been talking a lot about um, the context of our civilization and the looking forward at how all civilizations have a life cycle and that we are in the end of ours. How, let's bring this back to the practical. Let's look at, so, how do people move through their day, move through their life? How do parents give hope to their kids when all they're thinking about is they're going to be, you know, somebody who saves the world or a doctor or a lawyer, et cetera? What can they do every day to make this tenable? Yeah, well, I thank you for that question because this is our work. Uh, It's not to go down in despair. It's not to await some great saving grace from beyond. Um, It's really to get serious about how do I be a good human being. This is what I want for my children, for my grandchildren. I have a very large family. And a lot of people ask me, what about our grandchildren now? What's going to happen to them? If you're 
positing such a dark future for them? And my response is, is twofold. One, I want to honor the fact that the children coming in now may have as strong a sense of purpose and right timing as I felt I did. Um, mm. I'm glad to be here now. I'm glad that I had the experiences, the teachers, the access to knowledge and wisdom that have made it possible for me to feel fully productive right now. And I believe that with many of my grandchildren, they came in on purpose, just like I think so many of us feel we did. But there are certain dilemmas that they face or challenges. The first is um, losing any sense of ground just by being on social media all the time. So one of my pieces of advice to parents, I give this to my own children as parents, is you've got to give them many more activities beyond the screen because this is really physically destroying mental capacity, but it's also, they're they're all becoming addicts. I mean, it's so obvious these days. Um, So giving your children or giving your grandchildren a connection to nature, paramount importance these days. There's more to life than our virtual reality, or there's more to life than our organizational lives. And so getting outside and really developing a relationship with the greater world of, of nature and living systems for me is fundamental, and it is a source of peace and confidence and harmony. So I'm you know, this is becoming a popular thing to get out into nature. I just feel we need to give our children and grandchildren a much deeper sense of the meaning of their lives than they will find on on screen in the virtual world. And then we also need to model ourselves, which is where we started, of are we displaying the higher qualities, the better qualities of being human? Do our children see us acting with generosity and kindness? Do they see us being good listeners? Do they see us caring about other people? And if we can model that behavior, first of all, we'll have happier families. (laughs) And our, our children, I mean, I've lived long enough. My children are now in their 30s, and I do see where they finally picked up my values of service and generosity mm-hmm. to others and mm-hmm. incredible um, gratitude for the lives they've had. So mm-hmm. the, one of the questions of who do we choose to be is what can we model and be as we're raising our family and as we're educating our grandchildren. And then we bring that to work. Um, so the real response here is from Teddy Roosevelt who said do what you can where you are with what you have Mm. and I think it's really essential that we understand that in the midst of everything that is frightening and uh, disappearing um, there is still more and more opportunity to be a human human being and Mm. to manifest those qualities for other people Hmm. You know, 
it makes me think about um, the word compassion and how so much of this word has uh, has been bastardized um, and people somehow believe that compassion is uh, a giving up of oneself. If you have compassion for others, then you know you are you are completely um, what is determined as non-selfish, altruistic, um, and you really don't have a sense of doing anything for yourself. And I have always uh, considered that um, a, a faulty definition because if we cannot have compassion for ourselves, we cannot have compassion for others. And what you're describing in terms of how we become the human human being um, truly requires having compassion for self. And what you've shared with us today, Meg, is a path to actually thriving in the midst of the chaos and making our moments filled with meaning. And for that, I am very grateful. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Cheryl. So Meg Wheatley's book is Who Do We Choose to Be? Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, Restoring Sanity. And, of course, when you Google Margaret J. Wheatley, then you will see her other nine books, all of which have had a significant impact on the development of our culture and how we've moved through these chaotic times. Meg, how can people reach you if they want to? Well, the easiest, easiest way to reach me is through my website, Margaret Wheatley, and it's L-E-Y, Wheatley.com. And there you can read about my books. You can download any article for free. I've really created a website as a library, as a resource for people. Mm-hmm. And also you can read about the training of warriors for the human spirit. Mm-hmm. Which is a another piece that I believe is so critical and we need to have you back so that we can talk more about that, the warrior of the human spirit, because this All is right, a All right, we'll do that. <laughs> All right, so thanks, Meg. It's an honor to have you here today. And remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. 